Everyone asks you, oh, if you got the opportunity, would you hand your disability back? I didn't ever resent being disabled. I never wished I wasn't disabled. I've never imagined myself as a non-disabled person. You wouldn't ask a black person if they wished they were white. But they have got a higher chance of joining us than we have them. There's something profoundly wrong with everybody else. Good accessible designs. One of my pet hates is that every bit of accessibility is so clinical. Because you don't know tomorrow, you can wake up tomorrow and your legs can stop working. We live in a crumbling society. As human beings, we're so self-conscious about how we are. So you look like some sort of creature from Lilo and Stitch. My experience of wireless one the access was so, so, so bad. And the way they handled it afterwards has just been even more insulting. Today's guest, Katoosh Gol, is a self-proclaimed PR babe and disability activist. It was a great conversation to have with Katoosh today, particularly because she challenged some of my beliefs and maybe look at things through a different lens, and I'm really hoping she does the same for you. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Not Quite Podcast. I'm Charlie Randall. Let's get ready to rewrite the rule book. Welcome back to the Not Quite Pod. We have Skatoosh with us. Did I pronounce that right? Katoosh. Katoosh. My bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we've got you with us today. Do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Let us know who you are, what you do, um, and a bit about yourself. Hey, everyone. My name is Katoosh. I am a beauty and disability content creator who works in PR, amongst other things. But, yeah, that's me. Cool, cool. So what was um what was growing up like for you? Growing up was interesting. I think I would like to say I had a good childhood. I I enjoyed being a child. I enjoyed being a child in the early 2000s. I enjoyed growing up in London in the early 2000s. I loved everything that that had to offer in the way of like Totally Spies and Tamagotchi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My Super Sweet 16 and addictinggames.com and like you name it I was you know I loved like seeing all the tech kind of converge with entertainment at an early age played a lot come from a big family come from a musical family music was always playing so in that way it was good if you mean very specifically about me being disabled oh it was very difficult um making friends and being included things like that were really difficult being made fun of by other kids it all kind of comes with the territory, doesn't it? So it definitely wasn't yeah. easy um, and didn't really get easy until I became an adult. So only when I went to university, that's when I was, I felt able to pin down and define myself better and meet people I felt like understood me and got who I was and accepted me. So obviously I've had some good friends throughout this journey, regardless of that, but I can't say that it was an easy feat being a disabled yeah. person. Would you say, a lot of my guests I've asked, because um, I felt it myself, that like I got to a point when I got older where I fully accepted my condition and wasn't sort of held back by it or self-conscious of it. Obviously, we all have days where we're more self-conscious than others, but I almost felt like there was a time when a, a switch went in my head of, okay, this is just is what it is now and I need to just get on with it and deal with it for what it is. Um. I think I definitely had that moment, but I think at that moment, as a child, I think my parents were really good at making oh, really? sure that I was confident. Yeah, my parents were really deliberate about making sure that I was confident and understood, you know, my value and who I was. 
not just as a disabled person, but I think as like a black disabled woman and just in general to be proud of who I was and to be secure. So I think I would always say I had or have maybe insecurities, but I wasn't like a profoundly insecure person as a kid, despite the fact that I was dealing with quite a lot from people. I think if life is a journey and it's like a learning journey. So I would say maybe if you speak to me five years from now, I might have a different perspective on who I am today and who I was then. But yeah. when I look back over my life, I think I've been quite consistent in how I kind of see myself in relation to other people. I think the sharpest kind of change has happened in maybe the last 18 months. Yeah. But outside of that, I've been the same. I always had a really strong sense of self and confidence, especially my abilities. And for me, communicating was something that I was, yeah. I was really keen to develop and make sure I did really well. Yeah. Um, I'm sure every disabled person, I think, especially if whether you're verbal or nonverbal, understands the value of communication because people are not prepared to listen to us more than often. So you have to understand how to kind of express yourself the best you can to ensure that you can get what you want. So self-advocacy just kind of comes with it. And I think that that for me was an important aspect to making sure that I asserted myself. And I know I, I didn't ever resent being disabled. I never wished I wasn't disabled. I've never imagined myself as a non-disabled person. Mm-hmm. I always wanted, I always imagined a world where people just accepted me for me rather than me changing to fit the world. I could see that there was something profoundly wrong with everybody else. Yeah. No, it was perfect. Yeah. I get that. I get that. As, as, it's that interesting thing of everyone asks you, oh, if you got the opportunity, would you hand your disability back? And everyone expects you to go, God, yeah, definitely. And like, I feel like me personally, and I I can sense a bit of it from you just now, is that there's that element of like, there are so many opportunities that I've got because of my disability or because of the situations I've been in that I wouldn't have experienced had I been quote unquote able-bodied. Um, and it is, it's such a hard thing to sort of try and get your able-bodied folk to wrap their head around, like, it's because that is you and that's all you're used to. It's like, I've had it before. What's it like to be disabled? And I'm like, I don't know. What's it like to have working legs? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a, it's a ridiculous question, but I have received my fair share of questions in that kind of vein. I think I always ask them, I say, for me, being disabled is just like being black. You wouldn't ask a black person if they wished they were white. That would be weird. So don't ask me if I wish I would wasn't I wasn't disabled because what makes being disabled difficult is not the conditions themselves. They're just mm. part of the natural spectrum of human life and you adjust your your life to work around that. And it's the inaccess and the barriers, of course, that make this, the lives of disabled people so difficult and the stigma. The stigma does a lot more damage than any than fatigue or anything like that, in my case especially. So with that in mind, I always tell people, like, it's the same for me being black. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with being black. But racism, discrimination, these are things that exist in our society that make it difficult for people like myself. So in the yeah. same way, as a disabled person, I don't see it as, like, an affliction, you know. And I think that yeah. it's really interesting that people people do because you don't know tomorrow. You can wake up tomorrow and your legs could stop working. You can wake up tomorrow and no longer see 
you get hit by a car when you leave, when you finish having your conversation with me. That's why I tell people when they ask me that. And I think you come and join me faster than I'll ever desire to be like you. You're going to, we live in a crumbling society. We've got a pandemic, we've got all these diseases, we've got climate change. You're all going to end up disabled. So just stop asking me that and find out how I'm managing the situation to prepare yourself. Yeah. yeah and it's like, it's like the joke I always say. I always say, well, at least when I get old, I'm going to be good at it. You guys aren't. I'm already going to be good at the whole wheelchair thing, not being able to walk around, being able to have to use different equipment. I'm just going to be fine with that. You're going to really struggle. So it's a really interesting thing yeah. of like, as you say, it's that whole thing of you have, we have got a higher chance, or they have got a higher chance of joining us than we have of them. So it's a really interesting way of looking. I've never thought about it that way. And it's really true. Like there's yeah. higher, much higher possibilities that you're going to get hit by a bus and have an, a life-changing injury, thus some miracle drug coming out or miracle treatment coming out that means all of our problems go away. It's Yeah, I've never, yeah. never thought about it that way. Um, going yeah. back, because uh, I'm always intrigued, because I, I'm, I always find it funny discussing like people's different experiences with people asking questions um, to people with disabilities. What's the weirdest question you've had off of an individual surrounding your disability mm, i'm sure you know which question that is you know you know the question enlighten me enlighten me <laughs> it's no hold barred here we we just got a... you, know question. you know the question i think the last time i got asked the question was in february maybe but um i'm guessing yeah, it's the question sex? of uh yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's when you have sex that's, that's, the, the, that's the number one question I don't know why everyone like, wants to know. Because they're deviants, Charlie. They're deviants. They want to know, <laughs> you know, private information. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's the main one I can think of. I think, but you, the Kenya of Sex one is, is is very inappropriate and weird. But I think that the would you decide not to be disabled if the opportunity presents itself is more weird. Mm, yeah, I think it's just weird. The, the sex... The sex one is just weird because it's so point blank. Like I've had it like at the point of we've not even exchanged names properly yet. And you're going straight in for that question. Like I'm an open book. I'll answer anything you want. I don't, I don't care. But it's that whole thing of like time and a place. Like if, it, if we're like, if this is like the fifth time we've met each other and you're sitting there and it's the question that's burning in the back of your head. Fine. I don't mind. Like I'll answer it because the pe that way people learn. But it is that whole thing of people just going straight for the jugular. Yeah, and that's exactly how it happened the most recent time. I was standing around having a conversation. And this guy came up, she walked up to me and asked me. I was on holiday, actually. I was in the Dominican Republic. So it's really, so he asked me in Spanish. I do speak Spanish. So nice. he, and then I'm speaking to everybody. And then he Ooh. was just like, oh, you have sex. And I was like, I think that um, with questions, when people ask me questions, any question somebody asks me about being disabled, um, I always opt not to answer it. Me personally, I just like, to, I'm not going to give them the satisfaction because I don't believe they're entitled to it. Everybody has a different kind of outlook on this. And I think it is a very case by case basis. But for me personally, I always think to myself, like, it's, it's a microaggression. However, we as disabled people decide to digest it, deal with it, mm. doesn't change the fact that it's a microaggression. So if somebody asks me a strange, inappropriate question of any kind, even a simple what's wrong with you, 
I don't like that. So nobody should ask me what's wrong with me. Nobody should ask me what my condition is initially anyway. Because more than often, if you just sit and wait, I will offer you the information that's relevant to what we're doing. But I think there's something very, um, how do I explain it? I almost feel like I'm in a zoo when people ask me these very intrusive questions. Like I'm something for them to spectate at, to kind of look at, and they don't see me as they see themselves because people are very self-conscious by nature. I was having this conversation, I have this conversation probably every day with different people, but people are afraid to give like a presentation at work. People are afraid if people can see, I don't know, that their, their clothes are inside out. Like someone wears their shirt inside out. They're painfully embarrassed. Like as human beings, we're so self-conscious about how we are. So I find it interesting mm. when it comes to say it's a free-for-all to draw me out and ask me about things that you find taboo. I don't think I'm being disabled taboo because it's my reality. To you, it's taboo, but you still opt to draw that information out of me and make me a spectacle in a social space, whether it's two people, whether it's a group. And because of that, I'm not going to dignify any of it with a response. I think that... Mm-hmm. It, I feel like in general, we don't have any entitlement to privacy or space from from lots of different angles. So we've got the kind of very logistic angle of maybe we need more support than other people. So we're not yeah. so we're not necessarily alone as much. And then you've got people who they you know, we're not allowed to have like consent boundaries on who touches us, people holding our equipment, people standing on our equipment, people looking at us all the time. You know, things like that. So to me, the conversation one is just another iteration of that kind of lack of um, consent and like the forced intimacy that disabled people have to have with complete strangers. So I don't know if that's yeah. a very long explanation. Yeah. For that reason, I'm... But no, I completely get where you're coming from. Um, it's really interesting as well, because I think you have a slightly... I completely can take on board what you're saying. You have a slightly different view of, because my, my, one of my biggest worries, and it's actually going to be really interesting to get your perspective on this. So one of my biggest worries is, obviously, there are people within the disabled community that are very closed off in terms of discussing their disability. Rightly so, it's their private life. They can they can do it if they want. My only worry is, by some, so let's say, for example, in a hypothetical situation, someone comes up to you and asks you uh, about your disability, whether that be... What happened to you? What what's your disability? How does it affect to bloody bloody blah? Um my worry is if that person then takes a very only way I way I can phrase it is offensive approach of very ag- aggressive and very like, no, I don't want to discuss that. How dare you ask me that? My worry is then that is a stereotype that then is labeled by that person to all of the several communities. So for example, that situation would happen with that person. But then, for example, if they came to someone like me, who's very open and very honest and very happy to answer those questions, they're going to be very standoffish with me because they think that I'm going to react the same way that individual has. Instead of approaching it the same way, we'd have any other situation of that person didn't enjoy that conversation. This person might be absolutely fine, might not. We don't know. Whereas I feel like you automatically get all, all tarnished with the same brush, if you get where I'm coming from. Hmm, I see what you mean, but I think that that perspective, I think it takes, it changes the subject matter. So for me, I think we've all been in situations where we don't all 
occupy every single label and identity that exists. So even you and me, we're both disabled, but like I'm a black woman, you're clearly not a black woman. So there will be instances instances when you will want to know things about other groups, other marginalized groups, other minorities. And in those instances, based off your experience, I'd imagine you would try and ask or pull out the information you maybe want to know, but within the the boundaries that have been set for you by that person, you're not going to overstep those boundaries. So if you want consent from them to divulge the information, you don't believe you're entitled to that information. I think with disabled people, people don't respect the collective sort of label protected characteristic identity of us being disabled people so i that would be the only instance where you're offended because somebody set a boundary so if somebody asks if i go to somebody and i ask them something and i'm not i don't belong to that group maybe ask something that could be perceived as offensive to somebody who's like an an lgbt person do you know what i mean and i i don't identify as queer i ask them a question they say i don't want to answer that question i don't have to answer that question for you because I understand the importance of respecting consent to people's information, I'm not going to take it personally. I can, I, I can measure, I can create a measured perspective and say, that person doesn't want to say that to me. That doesn't mean I might not try and ask somebody else, but it's a learning yeah, yeah, yeah. experience. I'm not going to indict the whole group because if I'm dying the whole group, then the issue isn't that they said no. It's that I have a way that I see the whole group to begin with. You know, if I see every single queer person the same way, then that in of itself is a problem. That means yeah. that I'm not learning yeah, from yeah, the situation. Yeah. And the, res- the onus is on me to learn from them because I'm the one who wants to experience an aspect of that community. So if we apply that to us as disabled people, somebody doesn't want to consent to providing information, however they decide to protect themselves from that question because it can be offensive, I yeah. think is up to them. And it's up to the person who asked the question to look inwardly and say, oh, this was an experience. This wasn't what I expected. Yeah. I can try yeah. and ask somebody else if I want to. If I now decide I'm never going to ask someone again, that's also a choice that I'm prepared to make. You can ask as many people as many different offensive questions as you want and get different outcomes every time. But yeah. that's based off the choices that you want to make. It's not about how the people respond to you. I think it's that obviously a lot of my belief comes from education. So my belief is that's why I am such an open book. Of I'm, I'm of the belief of... Look, the more I can teach you about disability, whether from my personal experience, the more comfortable and more aware you're going to be of someone's difficulties, what they're going to find frustrating, what sort of that bound, then you're more aware of the boundaries that may be in place. Whereas if you're, if it's your first introduction to someone with disability, you're going in completely blind. And I think, yeah, it's just a really interesting and it's a it's great to have this conversation because it's it's opened my eyes to different viewpoints of i'm like actually i didn't think about it like that but yeah i do i do just i don't know i yeah it's gonna take me a while to digest so i look forward to editing this but um <laughs> yeah it's really interesting um what uh, actually i've just realized we completely didn't uh cover that if you don't mind uh what's your disability because i know we've got we've got very similar conditions so I'm I'm a big language person, if you couldn't okay. tell. I, I'm big on language because I always think the language is, a, for me, it's a teachable moment. So I'm similar to you yep. in the sense that I do love to kind of explain to people m- 
me personally, I'm very keen to kind of explain to non-disabled people the disability liberation as opposed to my individual experience of how do I wipe my ass? How do I food, spoon feed myself? How do I, you know what I mean? There, I think there's a time and place for that on your more interpersonal level, but in a very kind of neutral social setting, my biggest thing is always to try and bring people in to understand what I consider are the most important aspects to equality, respect for disabled people. So within that, one of the things for me is, uh, I always say my impairment, so okay. I'll describe myself as having an impairment or a condition or a diagnosis, which is cerebral palsy. Cool. Yeah. Because I don't because disability is like a social construct that's created by barriers in society more than it is, you know what I mean? We have our various sort of impairments, blindness, MS, Down syndrome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether you're deaf, whatever that may be, spinal cord injury. But being disabled is always kind of created by the context at hand. Whether they've decided to put 12 flights of stairs or whether they make the space step free, which I don't I don't have to tell you about, of course. So anyway, with that in mind, I have cerebral yeah. palsy. Yeah. That's my impairment. So yeah. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, you're opening, like, opening my eyes to so different things. Because one thing that I'm curious with, with a lot of the disabled community, particularly the ones that I would describe for want of a better word of more advocacy than I would personally be. Of uh, I, I, I sort of consider myself very, almost too relaxed at times. Um, so it's really interesting because my worry with things like using the correct not terminology i completely agree with but my worry is are we then making people the able-bodied community more hyper aware of the phrasing that they're using rightly so then them but then we also need to focus their energy on making the world more accessible for everyone else including them so like prime example i always use look at if you look at a nightclub what a dumb idea it is to put a set of stairs in there. You've got people that have had too many drinks. You've also got disabled people that want to access that. It's just going to make it a whole easier scenario. So then why don't we focus on, on making the world, world more accessible to everyone else in terms of good accessible design? Because one of my pet hates is that every bit of accessibility is so clinical. Anyway, I'm going off topic here. Um, so it's, my interest, my perspective is I worry that by focusing too much energy on the terminology used, it's a really hard one because I don't want to say I don't agree with it because I completely do. I just, I haven't figured out the perfect way to, to phrase it is do we need to focus more on getting disabled people into work, uh, successful work opportunities, successful living opportunities, uh, equality when going out to events, equality when looking for design that they actually enjoy, things like that, the more more physical side of things is, is my, yeah, it's, that's something that I've always considered. I always worry by focusing too much on the words, we're then taking away the energy from the disabling factors surrounding us, whether that be accessing education, getting into work, getting into housing and everything that I've just described. What's your view on that? Because as I say, I'm I'm very open to it because obviously I'm looking at it from my lens and I haven't had a situation where I can openly discuss it with someone in the, in the community. So yeah, what's your view on, on that? 
Um, it's a good question. I think to me, they inform each other. I don't feel like doing one negates the efforts of the other. I think that they, to me, they're the same thing. Because if I say I'm disabled, like I opt to say I'm disabled, me personally, I say I'm disabled. Yeah. When I say I'm disabled, I'm what I what I mean by that is I'm disabled by the context. So then, how does the context disable me? Because with all the things that you named, the lack of this, the lack of that, the inaccess to this, the lack of universal design to spaces that makes it just kind of feasible for everybody in society. And I feel like an emphasis on on not making, because I feel like when you say things like I have a disability, for instance, or any other sort of terminology, it individualizes and medicalizes, for lack of a better word, the experience of being disabled. Whereas being disabled is a societal experience. It's a label that gets placed on you when society no longer sees you as a member to invest in and cater for. And it can happen to anybody at any time. The label itself kind of moves and has historically moved to encompass and exclude and include different people at different times. So there was a time when being gay was considered an, an illness, yeah. for instance. Do you get what I mean? So yeah, yeah. if I describe myself as disabled and people go, oh, why do you say you're disabled instead of you have a disability or people want to, if people want to, you know, mm. pull apart the language that I choose, then it, to me, it's a conversation starter. It's never supposed to silo the conversation into like a really narrow perspective. It's yeah, supposed yeah. to open it up because when people say, oh, Katush has a disability, it's Katush can't climb the stairs. Not why did you put stairs in the building? Yeah. only stairs yeah, in the building yeah, as opposed yeah, to, yeah. to get, do you get what I'm saying it's yeah. it's more I, that I think the, the example I always use from my view is I always say like if I go into a restaurant and and I go have you got an accessible toilet because that's terminology that's more commonly used now rather than using the word disabled toilet I personally I don't give a toss what you call it my main concern is do you have one I don't care whether you call it the ginger toilet the I don't, I really don't, the large toy, I really can't, couldn't care less, could not care less. All yeah. I care is can I use it and has it got space and can I, does it meet my, my requirements? Other than that, I really don't care what you call it. So that's the example that I always come to of like, I, I dread to think someone is that interaction of, do you have a disabled toilet? That whole, it's like that, oh, can I call, can I call you disabled? And it's like, yes, like it's, fine it's just a it's an identifier i i i personally don't have an issue with it so my yeah i say that's an example that i always come to is like realistically having what you call a disabled toilet or what you call something doesn't affect how useful that is for a a community or or something along that line does that make sense i feel like i'm not using no i understand what you mean but i think it does i think the two are more I think it does. I think the two are more connected maybe than maybe people realize because whether I call it a disabled toilet, an accessible toilet, I need to pee. So the same way you're saying, I need to pee. If I go in and I say, do you have an accessible toilet? That means, is your building built properly? If I say, do you have a disabled toilet? It's the same thing. Do you have a toilet disabled people can use? You know? Yeah. 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 So, Calling it a toilet, do you know what I mean? It's not, calling yeah. a disabled toilet doesn't negate the fact that it's a toilet that disabled people need. So 
if I say, do you have an accessible toilet? That means you, I come in, 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 in our cases, we're visibly in, mm-hmm. impaired. You can, see, you can see we're disabled. So if you see me come in wobbling with my scooter and I say, do you have an accessible toilet? Or do you have a toilet? Look, it's, it's implied. And you see people start to their their face starts to sink when they and they go, oh, it's downstairs because sometimes I don't ask for an accessible toilet. I just say, "Where's the loot?" Yeah, yeah what do you have? Most people just say, "Where's the loot?" And then when they see you now, they go, "Oh no, we don't have a loot," you know. And then it's like a yeah. massive thing because if you don't have a loot for disabled people, you don't have a loot as far as I'm concerned. If you don't have yeah, facilities yeah, yeah. for us, you don't have facilities. Yeah. So for me, it's more the two things are just the same. It's the same. If I say if I say I'm disabled or I want to use the specific language, the language was created because it diagnoses the conditions of the society that you're saying are the barriers we experience. Hmm. If we call it these other terms are kind of antiquated or they don't express the, the full extent to what it means to be disabled, which is to be excluded. It's not about the fact that I can't walk 10,000 steps or I can't run or whatever. It's about can I do the things I need to do? If I go on a shop, can I shop? If I go to cinema, can I watch a movie? Can I and when you say I'm disabled, you're saying your public spaces or whatever the facilities are need to be be to be designed in a way where everybody can do these things. Yeah. And if you acknowledge that being disabled is social, it puts the onus on the establishment and society to do that. But if you say I have a disability, it's kind of like good luck, sort yourself out. You know, it's like two different so that's yeah. the way I what, uh, this is completely, I suppose not completely different, but I, I, I thought about it and it'd be interesting to see what you think of this. What would be your view if someone said like, okay, we've got, instead of having obviously male, female toilets uh, and a disabled uh, disabled toilet, accessible toilet, they had one toilet that was, um, that anyone could use. It, double, it was also an accessible toilet, baby change and everything else. It was all rolled into one. Uh, would you be more comfortable using that? Because one thing I always think is like, okay, let's say for example, most places they'll have two toilets and then they don't have enough space to put in a disabled toilet. Well, why don't we negate that entire issue and go, well, we'll just create one big toilet and then everyone can use it. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I've been places that have one toilet that is accessible. They've got one toilet that has the facilities with, you know, the red, the red cord and the, that big thing yeah. that comes down like this and the, the railings or, yeah, or yeah. I've been to the, and I think also because of the impairment that I have or how my CP is I don't actually need the space that an accessible toilet has yeah you know yeah I just need it to be on the ground I need it to be on the floor that I'm on so yeah. I don't have to keep moving around but I and I can access, I can climb stairs and, you know what I mean, if I need to, I can do it. But in the main, for me specifically, because everybody's um, experiences of disability are so different anyway, when the toilet is big, sometimes it actually makes it more difficult for me, if I'm being honest. Oh, because there's less touch points. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. so a lot of things that are, like, specific yeah, yeah. of are designed for people who are like full-time wheelchair users and i'm an ambulatory yeah. wheelchair user i use a wheelchair sometimes but not all the time well, yeah. i seldom use it i use my scooter so but even in those instances the expectation is that the place should just have what you've described you know i always think that that's the best way around it so i went to a cafe in Hampstead heath one day and i was like oh where's the loo i went down 
and I saw the loo was just one massive room and it was just that was the loo and I said well yeah. there you go I think yeah. when you go to other countries they do it really well I've been to a lot of places in Europe that have really brilliant kind of access that doesn't feel clunky it doesn't feel like an appendage it's built into yeah. the space I just think the UK in general is just really piss poor at access. Although, not to, to play devil's advocate, so I recently went to um, Amsterdam. So I recently went mm-hmm. to Amsterdam in April this year. Um, and and they won't mind me saying this because I was actually travelling with um, two guys that were from the Netherlands. And Amsterdam as a city, accessibility-wise, yeah, you're going really to struggle. It, it's really bad oh, in terms of like the only place I could find accessible toilets were five star hotels. So I went up to a policeman and said like, "Oh, like where's the best place to find a disabled toilet?" Thinking there'd be like public toilets similar to what I'd experienced in like Berlin, Barcelona, places like that. Um, and literally, the only place you could come up with was hotels. Admittedly, in in the Netherlands, you go into a five star hotel and say, "Can I use the disabled loo?" And they go, "Yeah, sure." No worries, and they walk straight in. Whereas I feel like if that situation happened in London, they'd be like, "No, you're not a guest. You can't come in." Um, I've had but that yeah, so to me. For me, I've had that happen to me in London before. It's mad, isn't it? Like, yeah, they're yeah. like, no, like I had it happen to me at a bar when I was eighteen. They went to me. I was like, I was walking back from uh, walking, walking back from the station. Uh, for those that don't know, I Willing don't walk back. anywhere. Um, <laughs> Willing back. Um, and yeah, I was going back to the station, stopped at this bar because I needed the toilet. Didn't need anything else, just needed the toilet. I was going to go in, come straight back out. And the doorman was like, how old are you? I was like, uh, 18. Uh, oh, it's 21 and over, you're not allowed in. I literally need the toilet. Like, you can stand outside if you like. Like, I do not care. If you like, you can even come in. I really don't care. <laughs> it is like, and then they were like, no, you can't come in. And to this day, I refuse to go to that bar. My friends will go, and I'm like, no, I'm out of pure spite. I'm never going to get that far. Oh, yeah. All it takes for me, one bad experience. And for me, public spaces, since we're on the topic, for me, I don't know if you've seen what I've been up to recently. Um, wireless. Are you about to bring up yeah, wireless? Yeah. yeah. That, is that was going to be my next question. Really? Oh, Sorry, really? But, just let me let me do a quick intro. So for those that don't know, uh, um you went to um, Wireless Festival in London, had quite a, from what I saw, quite a negative experience. Um, and actually, some media picked up as well. Um, yeah, so do you want to talk us through it, like what happened, what your experience was, and sort of what happened from there, really? So I've been, I've been in my fair share of places in my life, okay, so far. My experience of wireless is one is probably the worst experience of access I've ever had. It was absolutely terrible. To this day, I'm in pain, like physically in pain, from how much I had to exert myself that day. Um, terrible experience of the festival on both weekends. Um, but access was so, so, so bad. And the way they handled it afterwards has just been even more insulting because... We know that London is not a city with great access. We don't have very good access yeah. in London. Yeah. So we're used to confronting spaces that aren't necessarily accommodating of disabled people in any way. But you can also see efforts made to kind of remedy and rectify it once you've arrived. You see them panicking as you as you as you make your way to the door. 
and then they get like six strong men to kind of carry whatever the situation may be. You know, they always yeah, do these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they might give you like a free drink or something just to be like, oh, we're really sorry that this is the sort of facility we have. But wireless was just terrible. No efforts made to improve upon their system in absolutely any way. So the grounds were terrible, no tracking pads. And the thing is, there are there are there are instances and there are examples of like good festivals. Glastonbury has quite good access. Reading has good access, speaking from experience. Uh, there you go. Football matches, football matches and like sports events have good access. So it's not like there isn't a consensus on how disabled people are supposed to be treated at public events. They just decided that they weren't going to invest in respecting their disabled patrons in any way. So every possible thing. I mean, you see all the stuff on my social. I got it all on a bubble on my IG. Uh, they're going to cut. I'll be linked below. So if you guys do want to go go and uh, check it out, I'll put everything. Yeah, definitely go and see see the, the the filming that my sister Sweetie took of everything. Um, but yeah, terrible grounds with potholes, steep hills, gravel. It took three people to pull me along in the wheelchair I was in on the second day. It was so bad that after the first day, I was exhausted. I had to use a wheelchair the next day. And as you know, I don't typically use a wheelchair unless I'm traveling or going somewhere very specific. And I go to festivals with my scooter all the time. Um, couldn't see the stage. Couldn't hear the stage. Second access viewing stage was blocked by a tree. At Frinsbury uh, Park, the um, the access platform was so far back that we couldn't see or hear the acts on the stage. And there was a three promotional stand where people were listening to music, like, and they had like the little VIP section. We could hear the DJs on that stage and they interfered with the live performances. So we couldn't even hear the live performance without this kind of interference behind us. They didn't clean the platform. So there were flies everywhere. They were giving, they weren't guarding the platform properly. So non-disabled people were coming and sitting in front of us. This is all at Frinsby Park, mind you. So yeah. the second weekend. Um, couldn't, yeah, just couldn't see or hear any of the acts. The second viewing platform for the second stage was literally perpendicular to the stage. So you can't actually stand on the platform and see the stage. You see the crowd. Yeah. And the whole thing was, it was extremely poorly planned in a number of ways. And then after all the kind of blanket coverage and the media pickup, they haven't publicly acknowledged nor apologized for how they've treated the disabled patrons at wow. the event. Yep, they're so ignoring, they ignoring. No, they ignored. They all. haven't. So they haven't communicated with you at all. So, I got an email. Yeah. I got an email. It wasn't. I don't want to really get into it, but it wasn't the best email. Yeah. Um, and they committed to a refund, but to me, a refund is a prerequisite. For what I experienced, and I only was refunded for Crystal Palace, but Finsbury Park was also a very terrible experience. I think the difference was the grounds themselves. When um, it, it didn't have the gravel, because that's just not how Finsbury Park is as a park. Yeah. But what you could see was their system and how they planned the event for disabled people was abysmal. If there was any planning put into it at all, so when you now transplant that onto the Crystal Palace venue where you've got these steep hills, these potholes, the gravel, it just makes for a particular, an extremely terrible experience. But Frenzy Park definitely fell below the standard that I'm even used to at festivals. It was not a good two weekends. My birthday weekend, no less. It's not yeah, I don't want to be spending your birthday. Not at all. Exactly. That's mad. So, yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, 
I have to say, I can't believe it. Like, I, I overall have had a very positive experience whenever I've gone to festivals. I've been to Reading, I've been to V, I've been to... Where did I go to recently? Oh, fuck. Uh, cross Tracks. I went to Cross Tracks most recently. And that one, having to say, it was one of those... It's a smaller festival, for those that don't know, based in uh, Brixton in London. Um, and I have to say, I think, I, have, I think they've nailed it the best. Their access crew was so on it it was unreal. Like, I, so I went with a buddy of mine, Shay, um, and Shay has um, sickle cell anemia. And in classic Shay fashion, he does not pre-book anything in terms of like, if he, I, I keep saying to him, if you book the access to, like if you just let them know you're coming, you'll be able to get extra stuff in, extra support and all this and that and the other. He's just not about that. And I'm like, fair enough. But anyway, so he's arrived <laughs> in true Shay fashion. He's arrived with this huge duffel. This duffel about the size of me and it says clearly on the uh on the paperwork you can't bring anything in that's bigger than an a4 i immediately like most of us you pay too much attention to it but i was like yeah you're going to really struggle with that so anyway the access guys come over to help me um and check me in and make sure everything's okay um and then i've said he, he's basically seen my friend Shay struggling with the security trying to get his back to him we're trying to explain like He's got sickle cell. He's got extra layers in there. He's got things, uh, he's got medication in there, and this, that, and the other. The guy was having none of it. The access guy basically went over, spoke to the bloke, and then just walked straight, Shay straight in with his bag. Said, "Come put it in the uh, emergency like tent. A- anytime you need anything, just come up to us, show us your band, and off you go." Uh, yeah, literally, I've never seen like anywhere else. I would have thought, "Nah, you, ha- you haven't pre-booked. They're not going to do anything." But they were straight on it. Like, and anything I needed. They were straight on it. Like, I remember we took um, umbrellas, and God knows why an umbrella is seen as a weapon, but there you go. Um, and basically, they were like, oh, you can't bring it through. And I had my electric wheel attachment. And if it gets too wet, um, it's a bit of a non starter, mind the pun. But um, yeah, so then we were like, oh, but we need it to protect this, and we need it to protect mainly if the sun comes out. I'm also ginger. Bad combination as well. Um, <laughs> So we argued that and then they were like, yeah, yeah, put it in safe storage and it was all fine. So like, it's really interesting as well because you you never know what you're going to get. Like you, you've had experience like that. I've had ones that are not great, but not terrible. They don't have brilliant experiences. This whole thing, there's no uniform, like it should just be a uniform thing. And this is what is required for disabled guests at festivals. And this is what should be accessible to everyone. Well, that's why we've got the petition, but so yeah, we've got a government petition in my bio on Instagram for everyone to sign. If we get a hundred thousand signatures, we want to get the government to kind of work with the hospitality sector on a charter of best practice for live events. So please Congrats, sign man. it. I'll. I definitely will. I haven't seen that yet, so I must have missed that. Um, I'll sign you're that not, as soon as we finish recording. Like, you're not watching my stories, Charlie. Tuck, 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 tuck. Man, I'm I'm just tired. Uh, this is me. Like my brain is a hundred mile an hour. I'm sorry. Um, what was going to say? So you met? Are going off completely in a different direction? You mentioned that you work in PR. What made you get into that? Yeah. Um. So I wanted to have a media-related job when I finished uni. Mm-hmm. I did history at uni and I never, I knew that I wanted a way to make the information that I had the privilege to learn accessible to more people. Because I felt like I really took away a lot of, away from it and I benefited from it mm. in a really profound way. 
but academia is kind of shut off a bit from everybody. You only really engage with it if you have a niche interest. So I said, well, the media is a great way to kind of funnel through a lot of really important messages and things that people can learn. Because um, I'm very kind of passionate about people being equipped with the right sort of information and therefore being able to use their skill set to kind of affect positive change, do things, feel better equipped about maybe themselves and their experiences. So that's like the backdrop. So I wanted to get into journalism initially. Didn't really make much inroad with that. And I said, what's kind of like a step away from journalism, but an office job? And then I was like, I suppose that's what PR is. So I Googled it. Googled like the definition of PR. I said, that looks interesting. Yeah, why not? And yeah, soon after I got an internship where I currently work. Um, and then that's where I work now. So that's been I've been PR girl now for just over 18 months. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. Thank um, you. How did you find, because uh, I ask a lot of guests that, um, that um, have successfully gone through employment. Um, what, how did you find that whole experience? Because I personally found it very difficult when I left school, getting into employment with knockbacks of places not being accessible, uh, people not taking me seriously because of my condition, all that good stuff that a lot of people within the sub community are probably sick of hearing. Um, yeah, how did you find that whole experience? Um, well, it wasn't easy. I was really fortunate. Um, I had an inn where I currently work. Okay. And, yeah, and I had a lot of support from pe people that already worked there who met me at the internship. So that's basically how I, how I got my job. That's Outside of that. Go on, sorry, I no, didn't sorry. cut you off. No, 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 it's fine. I was just going to say, outside of that, I was applying in the traditional routes. And I, I can't say that I was having a glowing experience of it. I'd get a couple of interviews. Some went well, some didn't. But I kind of always knew that I wasn't going to get the job. Like, I always, yeah, yeah. I kind of knew. I said, I'm showing up. I'm like a black disabled woman. not giving me a job. You know, I was just saying, yeah, yeah, I, get that. I knew that. Once you have a job, it's okay because somebody took a chance on you and showed that you're worth it. And so now when you go to look for other jobs, people are like, well, okay, all right. You seem, yeah, you know. Yeah. But that initial yep. entering employment is the challenge more than often, I find. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like, uh, I, as similar to you, the way I got into the work that I do now is because I knew someone that did it and basically they get you in. And then, as you say, you sort of are then able to cut your teeth in that industry. But I feel like as well, because there's a culture now where people change industries a, a lot more than they used to. And it's a good thing, like definitely experience more. But then also I feel like there's an extra fear factor for anyone with uh, any sort of diagnosis or disability that they can't do that because then they're going to have to face that whole stigma again of you've got no experience in this industry why the hell are we going to interview you, particularly particularly when we have, like when we've got stairs or when we've not got an accessible toilet or when we haven't got the infrastructure to support someone with a disability and that, that then puts people off. Like I can say comfortably, I don't do my dream job now because I found it so hard to get into that industry. That is why I then do this because then I'm feeding into that interest 
um, and and developing that knowledge and that that skill. So yeah, what's what was your experience? What's your opinion on that? Like, do you think younger uh, people with disabilities are more impacted in their ability to almost pivot and change because of their circumstances? I think so. I think I think a lot of disabled people have to rely on visibility. Um, so the more people that know you, the more options you have or the more opportunities you have to impress people to get into whatever space it may be that you're interested in. But if there's that initial interest in you, I feel like in general, finding work in this climate is very difficult for anybody. I think it's just exacerbated for us by a number of different discriminatory factors. One to do with the kind of attitude people have towards how disabled people live and work. Um, the other being maybe that the work culture is a bit antithetical to kind of letting people do things at their own pace, depending on the industry that you're yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, just from a logistical standpoint, access. Because before the pandemic, something like remote working was considered a completely oh, other question. Oh, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Oh, no? and, fuck's sake. Yeah. And now, thankfully, I suppose under very difficult conditions, we're being, they were kind of forced into kind of yeah. considering alternative ways of working that have actually benefited a number of different industries. So it's not because the same people can't work. It's how willing, again, people are very kind of satisfied with the existing kind of systems to kind of exclude us from society unless you're exceptional, you know. And with just another look at maybe how things can improve, the net kind of consequences can actually benefit everybody as well as the disabled person in question. But, you know... It is hard. Even my experience of working has hasn't been without its challenges. What's one? Well, actually, I'm, not, I'm going to ask you this because uh, I got asked. Uh, I, we it was a topic on a previous podcast. Do you feel that as a, as someone with a disability, you have to work twelve times hard? Not there's that bit inside your head that makes you feel that you have to work twelve times harder to show that you're worthy of a job role. So, for example. I suppose an example would be if you make a mistake at work, you beat yourself up 12 times more than an average person would because you're worried that then that gives the company enough to gut in your head. That's how it says, okay, that's enough for them to let me go. Do you have that that worry in the back of your head? Because it was a really interesting thing that got brought up in the podcast. And I agree. You know, I was like, yeah, there is that element of like, I feel like I have to push that much harder, more so to show that I'm worth it than anything else less so for the whole oh you're going to get fired but it is that whole element of to show that i'm worthy of this job role i need to be able to push that much harder um i think i definitely i mean as like somebody who's got a lot of layers if you want to call them layers right be working twice as hard is like kind of just consensus for all black people just generally you're disabled, yeah. you, um, it's just, you know, now you're working maybe four or five times as hard. Um, that kind of fear, that kind of fear of instability in employment is definitely a real thing. I had to like really push myself to kind of leave that mindset, okay. but for myself, just so that I was, 
not not because it's not an unfounded fear, but because I felt like it was hindering my I was in my head just way too much. Yeah. And yeah. just and just like you said, yeah, no, any small thing I was like, they're gonna suck me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, they're gonna suck me. But that's not it's it's ridiculous, but it just comes from a place of knowing that your value may be subject to, you know, certain conditions. Like, you know what I mean? You come from a very conditional standpoint. Everything you do is with conditions. And you're used to hearing a lot of no's and a lot of barriers, a lot of people blocking you. So it can make it really hard for you to feel like maybe you adjust to the workspace that you fit in. You know, there's a lot there. I mean... How, how did you change... You said that obviously you've slowly developed to be able to pull away from that mindset. How did you start that process? Um, I started to look at how other people were working. And yeah, maybe I'm disadvantaged in some ways in terms of the perception people have of me as like a minority. Mm-hmm. But then I observed people were making the same mistakes mistakes is me and then some yeah and i was like mm, mm. it's not it's not it's not a big deal you know that doesn't mean you don't work to the best of your ability you always try and do that that's like the prerequisite it's in my interest to do my job well it's not yeah, in my interest yeah, yeah. to, to half ass my job but the um i think yeah i just kind of realized everybody's learning nobody actually really knows what they're doing in the grand scheme of things and if you don't show yourself any grace nobody's going to do it for you. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame anyway. So if you're prepared to lie yourself across the, the chopping block, people will chop you into little pieces. Yeah, yeah, it. you're completely right. And it's a it's a thing of, I, I feel like it's got better. So obviously now that I am uh, have been in my job for quite a while and know, know, what, I, know what I'm doing to a certain extent, um, there's that element of now I take the approach of, look, like, People make mistakes. Like I am the first person to be like, look, if you make a mistake, that's fine. Like people make them. My biggest thing is don't hide it. So I am a big advocate of, yeah, I fucked up. That was me. Whoops. Sorry. What do I need to do to fix it? Or what can we do as a collective to fix it? Because the more you try and hide it, the more it's just going to unravel. But that took so long for me to get to of like in my head like i was like no i need to fix this myself like i can't go to other people for help because then that shows that i'm not good at my job and yeah it starts that whole thought process again yeah no i feel that i definitely had that i was like because i feel it would because i was worried it looked like you're just constantly constantly making mistakes yeah (laughs) and i think just in the interests of like the flow of the work day and what needs to be done is just in your interest to make sure everything's done properly yeah and as best as possible and if that means that you have to ask for help or you have to show people maybe where you may have gone wrong or something then that's just that's okay it's no big deal i think but, it links it it's links into day-to-day life as well like so one realization that i've had recently is i was terrible at like being able to go up to someone that I didn't... So say, for example, I'm stuck at a train station, I'm on my own, and I can't get from A to B, or something's gone wrong and I need help. I was terrible at basically going, do you know what, actually, can you give me a hand? I was awful at it. Like, I would never do it because I was that nervous. Like, I'm like, I don't want to be... I don't want to be, for one of another, that disabled guy, because that was what was going through my head. And also, I don't want to be an inconvenience to someone else. And also, I... 
I just didn't like that whole experience of this is what I need help with. This is what I need you to do. Because the amount of people, I mean, naturally, it's the first time they've done it. But I didn't like that experience of, I know it's going to take me five times to explain what I actually need before you actually get it. And it's, it's that, I can't remember how I got to this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's that whole thing of having to get to know yourself better as well, knowing what what works for you and what developing that understanding of it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think because it's my first job, there were just loads of learning curves, yeah. loads of opportunities for me to learn how what to do What was the biggest one? I, I can't say that there was a big one. I think it's just everything, everything all the time. Yeah. And PR at an agency in general is very fast-paced. So yeah. it's just, you know, it's just part and parcel of the, of the experience itself, you know. So I can't, unfortunately, I can't give you one juicy tidbit and be that's like, fair. this that's, is the that's fair. that's fair. One thing I am intrigued by, it's been meant, you've mentioned it a couple of times in, a part, in this episode and also um, when I met you, you used it. Now, to, to some people within the community, a scooter as an aid is quite unique. How, what made you come to that conclusion? I'm just curious. Um, it was my mum. Ah. It was my mum. You know mums, they're always full of great ideas, right? <laughs> yeah. So, my mum was like, I think, I think a scooter would be really good for you. And I was really averse to it at the beginning. I didn't want to ride a scooter. I thought, like... I thought people would laugh at me and that I'd look silly. And guess what? People laugh at me every day. But <laughs> scooters are now very popular. Yeah. So I was ahead of the curve. I've been using my scooter now for about five years. We got one anyway. We looked online. We found one. We got it. And then at first I was a mess. I was like crashing into trees, riding myself off the road. Then I went to um, Budapest. I go to Budapest a lot for um, nice. for like it's called conductive education. It's a type of like therapy. Oh, you do conductive, kind of... yeah. Yeah, I yeah. remember. I do. I used to do that. That's at the Petu Institute, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still yeah, the Petu. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, so you know. I used to. There's a there's a there's a lady that I used to um do it with here. There's a couple of. Um, conductors over here that do it so that's really cool that's cool it's a small world yes yeah like i'm like a conductive education vet i've been having it since i was three yeah and it's a big part of my life and how i maintain or look after myself it's part of my like my well-being and whatnot so i haven't been able to do it recently because of covid but before covid i would go every year twice a year three times a year every summer holidays for for weeks and weeks and weeks and i'll go to go to hungary so when I got my scooter, I went back to Hungary, I went to Peto, and I got them to show me how to ride my scooter. Just like how they showed me how to do everything yes. else that I do. So after yes. that, I was really good. And I also was able to get a lot of practice going around the city because it's much easier to kind of, it's a much smoother, more accessible space than London. That's really interesting because I have heard really mixed reviews. Uh, basically, uh, this is again going more personal, but... um. I have always wanted to go to Hungary, um, but I heard very mixed reviews of it. it's quite inaccessible. So that's really interesting that you've just said that. Um, so I might have to pick your brains after this. 
Oh yeah, no. Any questions you have, I am like in Modjorvadjok. Like I am like <laughs> the Black Hungarian. So <laughs> any questions you have, any so, questions you have, I can answer them. You know what I mean? I'm like designated tour guide. Do you know what I mean for all things the, to do with Hungary? The, the real question is, and this one we will catch you out. Can you say the longest word in the Hungarian language? No, I don't know it. So I got my my conductor to teach. To, she taught me this. I, I can't believe okay. I'm about to do this on the on the podcast. So it's Elken Kapos Tashi Totlani Tatok, and it essentially okay. means. And I may be wrong. I need to Google this. Double check. But it essentially means purple cabbage. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, I have one of my really good friends, Harry. He can say it, but he's he goes there even more than me, and he can say the longest Hungarian word. I'm more like I'll sing my little Hungarian songs, you know. Fair, fair. That that comes from yeah. the music background. Um, yeah, maybe. But you know, they make you sing a lot at, when you do. Yeah. yeah. You always singing. You get to know all the nursery rhymes. It's kind of weird now. I'm like 25, and I'm like I sing Hungarian nursery rhymes. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, I weirdly, I like I was up until a few years ago, I was still really good friends with my conductor. Like I met her daughter. Um, yeah, we, it's, yeah. So yeah. small world, but no, definitely we'll have to pick your brains on that. But that's really interesting that you chose. Um, your mom came up with the scooter idea. Yeah, all the best ideas come from her, or my sister, sweetie. Like between the two of them, you know, just in general, you know, I've got a really close knit family. So got the scooter. It's got two wheels at the front and one at the back, so it's not like two wheels, so it can stand on yeah. its own, and I don't have to worry about balancing. And before then, I would use two sticks. I saw my sticks, of course, and I used them for some things. But uh, two sticks, and I'd walk around everywhere with them. Because if I sit in a chair, I'll get very stiff. Yeah. Because I have spastic diplegia, so I'll be very yeah. stiff. And it would per, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, being, being mobile and maintaining that was something, especially when I was much younger, was really important to me. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. I would, um, so the scooter is an excellent compromise because it's almost like a cross between walking with sticks and using a chair. When I get tired, I stand on it and whoever's with me kind of pulls me along. You need to get yourself an electric one. See, this is the thing. I want one, but I'm scared to pick my teeth. I need to find one that's got two wheels at the front. If I find one with two wheels at the front, that's fine, but most electric scooters have one wheel at the front and one at the back, and I wouldn't be able to balance yeah. on that. So yeah. the hunt continues, the search continues. But if you have any ideas, definitely send them my way. Ah, uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, now you, the worst thing is, I'll be that sort of person. If you set me a challenge, like I've got to find something, I am the worst because I will sit there for hours trying to find it, and if I can't find it, I will find, like I will figure out a way. <laughs> Thank you in advance. Um, yeah, but that's that's really cool. So it sounds like you've got a really close relationship with your your family, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're very close, like tongue and teeth. Um, are you um? Are you the young? Are you the youngest? Oldest? Middle? I'm the second oldest. Ah, uh, cool, cool. So you know that's an, that's another. Thing. You're the youngest. I'm the, baby. I'm the baby. So there's me and my oh. sister. Me and my sister, and I'm the baby. I see. You know what's funny though? 
I people always assume I'm the youngest. Like not you asking me, but like none of the same people seem the youngest because they can't conceive how a family would have more children after they've had a disabled child. <laughs> or people are surprised by how siblings at all. And it's so funny because anyone who knows me knows that my siblings were really close. We do everything together. Like I went to wireless both weekends with my siblings. Like the four of us went as a group with other friends as well. But we went as a group and like, so people who don't know me, they're like, oh, you have siblings. Yeah. And I'm like, why, why would, and I'm like, are you, are you saying I'm mean? Are you saying I give only yeah, child yeah, yeah. energy? Like, why are you saying that yeah, to yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like yeah, everyone, go, everyone goes to my sister like, Oh, like well done you and you're like what the fuck what like yeah okay yeah i'll, I'll remember that next time I, I got to the front of the queues at the festival i've got free tickets everywhere fuck off <laughs> exactly. I, people just have this thing of like oh wow like you can't like you can't be related to him you're able-bodied and i'm like yeah it happened to me after birth go figure <laughs> It's it's just really it's just really stupid. Like it's just stupid. People are just it is. Or the other one that's most... funny is like relationships. That one's hilarious. People go, mm, yeah. wait. Especially because for me, my well, you've met Gina. Gina's ginger. So like the amount of times we get mistaken for brother and sister is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But then everyone goes, oh, but wait, you're dating him. But yeah. What? You know, I thought I I'm not gonna lie, when I saw you guys kiss yeah. my mouth hung up I was, I was a bit scared. I was so like, <laughs> Not because you're disabled, of course. Yeah, but yeah. because you're both ginger. I was like but ginger people normally don't have ginger siblings. Sometimes yeah. you have like a whole family of gingers and sometimes you just get one ginger sibling in a family and everyone else has a different hair colour. Yeah. But in the moment when it happened, all the biases just flew over me. And I was like, "What? I'm like, it's giving, it's giving sibling, it's giving brother and sister." Yeah, but I guess it means you like the way you look because you want to be with someone who looks exactly like you. I mean, I would say we look exactly like, but no, it's really interesting. Like people always say, like people always think that my sister is my girlfriend, and my girlfriend's my sister because my sister's blonde and obviously Gina's ginger. Mm-hmm. But yeah, everyone has that stereotype of like, wait, wait, that's backwards. And I'm like, no, 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 we're related. We're not related. And what I always say That's is, right, li- listen to her accent. Now listen to my accent. Spot the difference. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's from Birmingham. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> you're right. That is hilarious. I feel like if, if, I think, yeah, for me, it was just the hair color. It wasn't, obviously, like, I'm disabled. Yeah. So I wasn't like, yeah. oh, my gosh, da, da, da. I just, because you guys kept, like, meeting to speak during the night. And I was like, cute siblings, cute, very cute. And then when you kissed, I was like, ah! <laughs> and, then I like, and I was like, tush, get a grip. But yeah, no, you, guys are, you guys are a lovely couple. Thank you very much. Although I, I really want to get this on, on record. Can you describe our experience of meeting each other? Because it was quite possibly one of the funniest things I have ever experienced. So we were at um, Purple Goat, the agency. They hosted an event for disabled influencers, activists, content creators. And so it was, I haven't been somewhere with so many disabled people in the same space, probably since I was at Petto. Yeah. Like, otherwise you don't necessarily run into disabled people in real life. 
because of all the barriers to stop us from accessing public life. Anyway, so we're all there. And I'm just really happy. I'm like, wow, my gosh, something you to say with people. But and then I noticed um Charlie at the back of the room. Uh as soon as I saw him, I said he's one of we're the same. He has so many and the reason why you can always tell, well, it takes the train, it takes one to know one, right? So yep. in addition to it taking one to know one, I just there's certain signifiers to when somebody has CP. And it's not just me, my siblings can identify as well. All my siblings, they'll go, yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. I saw someone today who had cerebral palsy. And then yeah. they'll say they'll say something like, I noticed because I don't know. Yeah, yeah. They were wearing Pedro's. Like they all like know Pedro shoes when they see them. Like they know yeah. all these shoes. So I see Charlie and I went over and I said, You have cerebral palsy. That's how I opened the conversation. Do not never do that outside of this circumstance. <laughs> because we were all, that's what that's yeah. happened. And he was like, Oh my gosh, how did you know? And I said, It's the T Rex arms. <laughs> People with yeah. always gesticulate and raise their arms like this when they're speaking. Yep. And I call them the T-Rex arms because it's not the entire arm coming up from the elbow. It's literally just the forearm before the elbow that kind of jerks up, especially. And people with CP talk a lot. We're always talking. So yeah, <laughs> you're just yeah, yeah, yeah. you're passionate and the arms are doing this. I do it. Charlie does it. If you have like spastic diplegia, you're doing it. Like, yeah, or spastic yeah. diplegia. <laughs> if you have like, spastic CP, it comes with the territory. So yeah. we were in hysterics because we're like, oh my gosh, the T-Rex arms. And then the second one is if they're sat in a chair, if somebody goes behind them and is speaking to them, rather than turn the torso to face the person, they will bend their head back like they're possessed like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've done that, yeah. Literally their head just goes back, pardon, yeah, and they turn like this. Classic. <laughs> It always amuses me. Even if I'm in a chair, I do it too. All of a yep. sudden now, my, my neck is just rolling around. It's yep. never the whole body. Maybe it's too much effort <laughs> to turn the whole body because we don't really have great core muscles. Yep. So so you all of a sudden, you're just rolling your neck back like, like you're having an exorcism. Yeah. Very funny. It's still one of my favourites. So it has to be when you pointed out the shakes. The shakes. I thought I was the only one that did though. So like every so mm. often, you know that like for those that aren't, haven't got certain... Spastic cerebral palsy. You know that feeling, oh, the only way I can describe it, you know that feeling when someone says, oh, someone's just walked over my grave? It's that, mm-hmm. but you know it's coming. So you can feel it coming, and you know it's coming, but you can't do anything about it. So you know you can be in mid-conversation with someone looking square in their eye, and you're about to do some weird full-body shake that you Wait, can't yeah. control. I went on a date once. And um, we were standing outside, and it was like near the end of the day. And the guy leans in to kiss me, and I did the, the shake. Whoa! What a time! What a time! Did, not... Please say you headbutted him by mistake. No, I went backwards. Oh, I went backwards. Okay. And... Okay. Yeah, no, I landed. <laughs> I, I started coming, and I was like, "You have to go back." You know. Yeah. <laughs> Just lean in and shake. We'll say it added a bit of spice. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 I want to see. What did he say? Did he notice it or did he just leave it? He was like, oh, are you okay? And I was like, oh, it's fine. It's just a spasm. Just a shake. 
Just a shake. I was like, it's just a spasm, don't worry. <laughs> what a mess. The worst thing is, but, I yeah. hate that feeling. You know it's coming, and you know it also always happens at inappropriate times. So, like, you'll be in a really serious conversation with, like, your manager or someone, and, like, you, you can feel this coming. You're like, oh, my God, like, these people don't know that this is about to happen. Okay, okay. And then you do this weird, like, try to not do it. So you're, like, moving, or you, like, pretend to sneeze. That's another one I've done. Or, like, pretend to itch. Like, it's 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 just so weird. It's probably the weirdest one. I think it's the weirdest. For me, it's the weirdest one. I kick people a lot. Yeah. Oh, don't don't get me started on that. Like I've cut my foot open several times in the same spot oh, from where I've randomly. Yeah. So like, to be honest, you're going to be able to relate to this quite a lot. So first time I did it, um, I dropped. What did I drop? I dropped something. I can't remember what it was. I dropped something and I kicked my my foot kicked and I kicked the bottom of like my cooker and my cooker's got like a metal grate on the bottom of it and literally sliced the top off of my toe. This is at like six o'clock in the morning. I was about to go to the gym. It all went wrong. And then it gets even funnier. I then six months later dropped a loaf of bread and did the exact same thing to the exact same toe. Uh, I uh, Now I just bet. No, I need to just wear shoes. Like that's what needs to happen. <laughs> I hate wearing shoes. Basically. I know, right? Oh, I hate but yeah, wearing shoes. No. Also, the cold feet. The cold feet's another thing. No, I don't know That's if you a... have this one. If you're like a full-time wheelchair user. I don't know if you saw my TikTok. I think I showed you my TikTok. So Which I one? did this TikTok. Mate, I, 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 I was a few drinks deep at that point. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, Pov, you have cerebral palsy. And we named like stuff that people with cerebral palsy do. One of which is my shoes are all finished. Like the front of my shoes... Yeah, yeah, and then you have two extremes either your shoes are completely perfect because you don't walk at all, or your shoes look like somebody's bitten off the front. I'm that group, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was that group until I, I, it's funny, I progressively used the chair more and more, so I probably I don't have that as much now. Maybe probably because I'm a shoe diva and I'm like, nah, like I can't keep spending like 100 quid on shoes, I just can't do it. So I <laughs> use the chair more. Terrible reasoning, terrible reasoning. And don't listen to what I do, but uh, just do what I say. <laughs> One day, but, um, Nike listening, they should sponsor me and give me a lifetime supply of trainers so I don't have to struggle and buy shoes every two weeks. Makes sense. I do. Yeah, buy shoes every two weeks, every four weeks. Yep, I remember those days. And I was literally, when I was in school, my nan and granddad used to come back from Sports Direct with, like, the black trainers for school, like, just stacked. I just had, like, five pairs. They were like, oh, yeah, they were, like, £10 or whatever they were. They were on special. So we got all of them. Yeah, no. Uh, see, I like that kind of form. I used to wear Dr. Martens. Yeah. Because they were the only shoes that were kind of strong enough. And I would still take out the front of the Dr. Martens. Ugh. Madness, absolute madness. Um, just to finish off, I'm going to ask you our final question because I'm conscious that I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, what is, and I ask this to all guests, 
What's one piece of like politically correctness that you really strongly agree with or disagree with? It doesn't have to be disability related. It can be anything or everything, or it can be one or two things, whichever you like. Mm, I'll do one serious one, one unserious one. Okay. So my serious one is, um, let me have a think. Um, I'm very, I, I can't even think of anything. Okay, let me just do the serious one. I disagree with veneers. Unless for any very specific niche reason, I don't believe veneers should exist. Fair. I mean, I'm no orthodontist, so the specifics about veneers, I can't get into. All I know is that I've seen what they do to people's teeth to give them veneers, and I just don't think that should be allowed. That's fair. And also, like, people always go really extreme with them. Like, like I'm thinking, like, prime time Ryland Clark, ding, teeth. Like, why? No one's teeth are that white. Like, no one's. No one. Absolutely that doesn't even no one. As much as, you know, the crowns, to give them the crowns, they file down the teeth. So you look like some sort of creature from Lilo and Stitch, right? And then, <laughs> that's your teeth finished. Like, why would you do that to your teeth? Because, like, we only get two sets of teeth in this life. The baby teeth and the adult teeth. You know, we're not sharks. We don't get a new row every few days. And we're supposed to take this one pair of... Yeah, you have to take this one pair of teeth from, like, year five all the way to the end of your life. And you're filing it down voluntarily and nobody stopped you. Nobody's giving you a psych test and you didn't I'm not talking about you your teeth are ruined and now you're getting veneers, okay? I'm saying your teeth are perfectly fine, but you want sexy celeb teeth. So you're filing down the teeth that God gave you to put caps of plastic teeth on that you have to maintain every 10 to 15 years. What if society shuts down? Now you can't chew your food. Like I just anyway. Yeah. I feel really passionate. <laughs> no, I get, I get it. I do get it. Like, I'm not gonna get veneers. Like, I'll, I'll get my teeth whitened maybe later in life. But like, nah, never, never no, never. No, if your teeth are like done like, out, you can. But if you've got like normal teeth, like why, 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 yeah, why, why, yeah, why? Yeah. What have you got? Your serious one yet? Serious one. Um, what is my serious one? Okay, I do have a serious one. Okay, cool. I don't like when non-disabled people use the lift okay sorry oh don't fuck i don't like when non-disabled people use the lift no non-disabled person should ever use the lift as far as i'm concerned why are you using the lift i'll give them if they're injured no but if if somebody's injured you can clearly see if somebody's walking on that crutches with a big pop moon boot i'm not gonna be like take this (laughs) thing but you're there, perfectly fine. Or even people will try and say, you know, you can't tell what condition. If you have dyslexia, you can climb the stairs. Don't, don't, don't be yeah, Like, yeah, yeah. I'm very done with going to the station, queuing for the lift. Why am I queuing for the lift? Unless there's six wheelchairs lined up or six mobility in bed people, why am I queuing for the lift with people who can take the stairs? I just, that's mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you get what I mean? Like, we fought for the lifts. We protested. 
yeah. or our forebears protested. They worked hard to get those lifts. And now you want you didn't do anything. Now you want to slide in, take the lift to the Jubilee line. Yeah. 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 No, that's my I biggest gripe. I do get Although one thing that's really interesting so on that ilk, and I was actually talking to uh, it's a podcast episode that hasn't come out yet, but so a buddy of mine and um and he's got a colostomy uh, stone bag. I can't remember what the correct terminology is, so I apologise. Um, mm-hmm. uh, stoma bag is the correct terminology. My brain just clicked in there. Uh, he's got a stoma bag, and we were talking about the fact of, like, obviously hidden disabilities when using an accessible toilet. And the difficulty I have with this is, like, I'm guilty, I'll admit, I'm guilty of um, accusing someone and saying, like, you haven't got a disability, you don't require... Or, like, have you got a disability? Do you require this toilet? I'm guilty of that. And, and one interesting realisation I came to is the issue we have is this, it's the society we live in that we automatically assume that that person's in the wrong. Whereas if we lived in a society where everyone... I mean, it's not going to happen. But when everyone did everything right, no one would question it. Because our brains would automatically go, OK, you've got a reason to use this toilet. Absolutely fine. No questions asked. But it's because we live in the society we live in that... We chat have to. We feel the need to challenge everyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know for lack of a better word, I can be to an extent, not all the time, kind of non-disabled passing, if you want to call it that. Like if I'm sitting down or I'm standing and not moving, people won't necessarily know that I'm disabled. So yeah. sometimes people. So I get a lot of people who. Or even sometimes people just assume that I'm maybe drunk. I get this a lot. People always think I'm drunk. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other day I got asked if um, my drink... Well, actually, I wasn't asked. Let me tell the story correctly. Somebody asked the people I was with at work drinks if my drink had been spiked. <laughs> and I was like, you could you could have just... Like, why would everybody be sat around jovially having a chin wag? And I'm sat there, like, dialectically with my drink spikes. <laughs> and nobody's helping me. Like, people just ask very stupid questions. But as we said earlier, but, like, I don't have a problem with clarifying to people who are maybe more visibly impaired than me that I, too, in fact, am disabled. Um, like, because I understand the relative privilege, if you want to call that, that comes with people thinking you're not disabled when you are, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah. If I'm in a space and somebody is like questioning maybe why I'm taking advantage of a particular facility, I'll just clarify. Actually, I have the from an intra community standpoint, it's a non issue for me to explain that. So I think that that sort of dialogue is perfectly plausible. I mean, making assumptions is never good because you, you're always, more than often you're wrong. But on the flip side, for me, it's non. It's it's no skin off my nose to clarify. Actually, I have the, this, 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 this. Yeah. So that's why I'm yeah. using it to another disabled person, not to a non-disabled person. Absolutely not. But to another disabled yeah. person, I can do that. Yeah. Um, but I also think that not every facility that's designed for access is necessarily designed with me in mind, or is for me to benefit from. Like I can appreciate that not everything is for me. Not everything is about me you know which why i give this the flippant kind of example if you have dyslexia yeah you're disabled but the lift isn't for you yeah it's for the mobility yeah, impaired like yeah, yeah, yeah. Disabilities are not, they're not for me and that's okay i can i'm completely at peace with the fact that i don't have to utilize everything at every given moment if it's going to impede on the experiences of other people who need it more than i do 
Yeah. That's a really good point. Really good point. And it's a fair point as well. Like, is that whole thing of, is that whole thing people get funny about challenging someone? But then if, I always sit there and think, if you've got nothing to hide, what are you worried about? If I, if someone wants to go like, or you don't have to go into detail, you could literally turn around and be like, I have a stoma bag and, and that would be the end of the conversation. We'd go, okay, cool. Fair enough. Crack on. Do what you got to do. But it's, it's, it's a really hard one because I get that people shouldn't be challenged and shouldn't feel the need to explain why they need to. But then it's because people wrongfully use it. Like, for fuck's sake, I've had been in places before and a couple's walked out. Able-bodied couple have walked out. Like, I'm like, dude. And we were in an airport and I was like, guys, if you're going to just do it on the plane, like, I, that that makes no difference to me. Just do it on the plane. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely disrespectful. And, like, people, I... I... Sometimes you know people go there to, to do a number two. A lot of people go yeah, easily. That noise the fuck to, out of me. To do a number two, mm-hmm. like all sorts of things, and I just think that's just foul. It's foul because you're just you're saying I have no respect for disabled people. Like why should I have to smell your number two? Because you didn't want to do it in a stall's toilet with everybody else, like. You know, I just think there's a lot of lack of consideration. There's just, there's just a lot of really foul people walking around, yeah. acting like they're normal. You know what I mean? Buying a packet of crisps at the off-license. But really, they're foul. <laughs> and they do foul yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, like, you're right. Like, toilet. So, it's the kind of thing... You know, people love to ask their boyfriend or girlfriend, oh, would you love me if I was a worm? You know, oh, <laughs> you know those, like, stupid hypothetical questions. I always think, you should ask him, does he poo... In the disabled toilet, you'll get yeah. more of an indication yeah. of what sort of person they are in that sense, you know. Yeah. I remember I had an argument once with someone I met, um, and their argument was it was an older, older woman who'd had kids and everything else. Um, and her argument for using the disabled toilet was, I've had two kids, if I need to go to the toilet, I need to go to the toilet, and if no one's using it, why can't I use it? And I'm like, the fuck and the worst thing is i'm sitting there i've just had this whole discussion with her and this is what she comes out with and i'm like oh my god there are so many things wrong with that sentence if we if we get into parents specifically mothers but parents with prams we'll be here all night i mean we'll be here all night we're not gonna get into it we're we're not gonna get into it no, that's a different that, that's a different thing because like that one I'm that one I'm still on the fence about because I understand that you need the additional space so I and I also look at it from my perspective of let's say for argument's sake I have a child I can't fit in the normal toilet I can't fit in the normal toilet so I have to just rely on my girlfriends or my wife or whatever the point we're at have to be like. Do you know what? I'm never changing my child in a public space because I can't access it. That so that's a different thing. Like I, I get where you're coming from. Like I, it does annoy me that the disabled disabled toilet doubles as a uh, baby change. I completely like, it annoys the fuck out of me as, as well. But then I sometimes take the bird's eye view and go. I'm okay. not even talking about the baby. I'm talking about general public life. You know, I feel like we're constantly being made to compete with parents for mobility access, mm. like the bus. 
and um, the train or whatever it may be. And it's in some instances, the loo. And I just think that people, I don't know, people use, I think it's, you can understand how somebody may need additional support in society and they can still weaponize that to do harm to another group. You know, almost like some people think maybe they, because they belong to one group, they can't do harm to another group. Like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, bigoted about this because I live this experience. And it's like, mm, yeah. but you are. So in the same way, I feel like people almost use the pram as an extension of them exert, ah, wow, exerting the physical dominance and power in a public space, whether that's to catch the back of another civilian's ankles, whether that's the kind of use like a like um a battering ram, I think it's called, to kind of get through the space without any regard for other people in the space, simply because they think they're um exempt because they've had a child or because they have a child with them. But it's not even about the well-being of the child and the parent or caregiver in ha- at hand. It's simply about using it as a veneer to kind of bully disabled people out of what they're entitled to that we fought yeah. for. And I definitely see that every day. So they're another group of people I get really annoyed with to line up with for the lift. But... Fair. Fair. I get them. <laughs> nah, I do get them. I see them I do get that. I mean, we've, we've covered some good topics. So I'm going to do my final bit of let everyone know where they can find you, what you're up to, where you want them to find you, and plug away. Thank you so much. So you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at It's Katouche. So I-T-S, and then my name, K-A-T-O-U-C-H-E. Um, yeah, and doing what I do, commenting on my experiences as a black disabled woman. My experience of public life and entertainment is another thing that's really important to me, especially in light of recent events. So we've got the petition in my Instagram bio, definitely click through, sign it, send it to friends. Access benefits everybody. It's not a favor, it's a human right. Um, And you will soon become a beneficiary of access with the way things are going. So. I think it's better to get ahead of the curve and be on the right side so that you have a society that's prepared for you when you eventually come and join us. So with that in mind, sign the petition. Otherwise, when something happens to you, you won't be able to enjoy festivals and public events as much as you do now. Um, what else can I say? Yeah, so yeah, follow me on TikTok, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter. Um, if you're interested in getting involved in any way with what we're doing, the name of the movement is hashtag entertainment for everyone. Um, definitely reach out to me in DM. Um, I like to answer all my DMs, so definitely hit me up. Or hit me up if you want to take me for drinks in my DMs as well. But yes, <laughs> no seriousness, yeah. At It's Katouche, find me and plug in. Get involved in what we do as disabled people. Diversify your feed, challenge your perception of life. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to call you Skadoosh. It's because of your handle. I don't know why. Katouche, my bad. Um, thank no. you so much for com- coming on. It's It's been great. Like, actually, I've had so many eye-opening moments of, like, reanalyzing the way I think. So I think this is going to be a great episode. So thank you for that. And uh, thank, thank you for coming you on. having me. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Not Quite Podcast. Please make sure you follow us on TikTok and Instagram to get regular updates about the podcast. <laughs>